Please turn, if you would, copy of the scripture to the book of Ruth. You get past Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And we're going to be reading the first chapter of Ruth. And our focus will be not on Ruth so much as her mother-in-law, Naomi. Sometimes people, and this includes Christians, reach a point in life, sometimes it's early, sometimes it's later, where we look back and we say to ourselves, I didn't think my life was going to look like this. I didn't think five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that I would be here. And you look at the opportunities that have been missed, at the disappointments and the crosses and the trials, and you wonder what's it all about. And that's where we find Naomi. She is nearing the end of her life. And it's coming to a disappointing end. If she were to pick one word, and she does, to describe her life, she says it in chapter 1, verse 20, bitter. I left my hometown full, and the Lord has brought me back empty, verse 21. What's God doing in her life? Maybe you can identify with Naomi, even a little. What's God doing in your life? Well, let's find out. And let's read together from Ruth. We'll read the whole of the first chapter, Ruth chapter 1. And before we read, let's ask God's help together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. We thank you that your word speaks to us just where we are. And we thank you that in your mercy you would not leave us just where we are but you would have us to draw near to Christ, that through faith we would be more and more like him, no longer living for ourselves, but for him who loved us and gave himself for us. Help us by your spirit to listen to what you have given to us in the pages of your word and make it effective in our lives. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. 
But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Marah, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. 
Thus far, God's word. Amen. This book opens, we're told in the very first verse, in the days when the judges ruled. And that tells you about everything you need to know about the setting of this book. The judges ruled Israel between the death of Joshua and the rise of the kings, Saul and David and Solomon. And it was a dark time in Israel's history. These were days when idolatry and wickedness and violence ran rampant and when foreign oppression crushed the people. The end of Judges, and you can spy the very last verse of the book on the page before Ruth, captures it all. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And Ruth opens. Ruth opens with a family in the little town of Bethlehem in Judah. And the family is led by a man named Elimelech. And we're told in the first verse, they go and sojourn in the country of Moab because there is a famine in the land. They need food. He has a family. He says, we will go where there's food. It is a 75-mile trip, about what many of you will take to go home tomorrow. But this 75 miles changed their lives. They are in another land. They are sojourners. They are migrants. They have few, if any, rights. They are strangers in a strange land. And then Job-like waves of affliction begin to pour over them. Naomi's husband Elimelech dies in Moab. And she is left a widow with her two sons. Her sons then marry local girls, Moabite women, which God had told them not to do in his law. They were not to marry those who worshiped other gods. And then her sons die. And Naomi is a widow in a strange land with two younger widows. And there are no men, no husband, no sons in a day when men were the difference between survival and destitution in a home. And Naomi does the only thing she knows to do. She decides to go home to the little town of Bethlehem. And it is a hard trek. The women folk begin to talk. Naomi's back. And Naomi tells them, this is the Lord's doing. She says that several times in this scripture. Verse 13, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. 
Verse 20, do not call me Naomi, call me Marah, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Verse 21, the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Naomi is not a bitter woman, but she is a woman who has led a bitter life. She was once full, and now she is empty. And as she stares into the future, everything is bleak. What is God doing in the life of Naomi? And I want you to see from this scripture three things that God is doing that show him to be a good and merciful God. There are three good things God is doing in the life of Naomi in our scripture. And the first is restoration. God is spiritually restoring Naomi. How do we see that? Everything begins with a famine in the land. What did a famine mean? Well, the very basic level, it meant there was no food. But God had said to his people in the law in Deuteronomy that famine was a curse for breaking his covenant. God was displeased with his people for their disobedience, and so the famine was sent to show them his displeasure. And the family's response, Elimelech's response, was to leave to abandon the land of promise and to go to a foreign land. And while they're in that land, the two sons marry Moabite women, which God had said not to do. We have a pattern of sin in this family. And the scripture isn't really concerned to lay blame. Well, it's Elimelech's fault. Well, it's Naomi's fault. Well, it's these boys' fault. The point is this family is far from the land and they are far from God. And that wave of affliction comes. Three dads, the husband and the two sons-in-law, leaving Naomi a helpless widow in a foreign land. And then we get the first piece of good news in the whole book. You see it in verse 6. She arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The reports start to come. God has been merciful. God has brought food back to the land. And when Naomi hears of the goodness of God, God has stayed his hand of judgment. He has been merciful to his people. He has brought food to the land. This grabs Naomi's attention. She catches a glimpse of the goodness of God. And she says, that's where I'm going to be. This is the stirring of faith in Naomi. 
She sees God's goodness. She wants to be near to God and she will go to the land. That is faith in this God. And having turned from the land years before, she returns to the land. Read through this evening, chapter one. Notice how many times the word return shows up. That is the very same word that is translated elsewhere in the Old Testament, repent. Repenting is turning your back to sin and turning your face to God in view of his goodness. This is what Naomi is doing. Why did God bring these trials into the life of Naomi? This is the way God is bringing a straying sheep back to the fold. I don't know if this is her conversion, if she were backsliding, but I know that God did these things not to destroy Naomi, but to restore Naomi. Restoration. What does this say to us? You know, as Naomi looked back on her life, even in her down moments, one thing she never questioned was that God was on his throne. She may not have understood what God was doing, she may have tasted the bitterness of providence in her life, but she never doubted that every detail had fallen out according to the plan and purpose of God. I wonder as you look back on your life, the big things and the small things, all the things that have worked together to bring you in the seat you're sitting right now, do you know that the sovereign Lord, this God, has ordered your steps? Not chance, not nature, not the people in your family, your friends. The Lord has done this. And what was God doing in Naomi's life? He was pursuing the straying sheep. And he was drawing her to himself in the cords of repentance and faith. And how did all that start? God put a spotlight on the goodness of his character and Naomi could not but see it. And that tells you and me a couple of things. As you look at God's work and ways in your life, everything he's doing, he does to call you closer to himself, to break from sin, to draw near to him in faith. And you ask, well, how has God spotlighted his goodness? He didn't spare his own son, 
but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all good things? When the Son of God was hoisted on the cross of Calvary, there is no greater goodness of God that could be demonstrated to you. And so how do you respond? You turn aside in indifference, or do you turn your face to this God? Well, there's restoration. But there's a second thing we see God doing in the life of Naomi, declaration. Naomi is going to tell her daughter-in-law, Ruth, about the Lord. And God is going to use that witness to bring Ruth to himself. There they are, the three, Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, they set out from Moab and they head west to Bethlehem. And they reach a point. I don't know if the road forks or they hit a brook or there's some kind of border, but it's decision time. And Naomi turns to her daughters-in-law and she says to them in verse eight, well, ladies, it's time to go home. You need to go back to your mother's house. And she speaks kindly to them. She pronounces the benediction over them. May the Lord deal kindly with each of you. But she is dismissing them. She is freeing them. She's sending them home. And we read in verse 10, they won't go. They say, we're staying with you, Naomi. And Naomi says, ladies, I need to talk to you one more time. And she tells them in verses 11 and 12 and 13, let me tell you how hard this life will be. You leave everything you know and you come follow me. It will be a hard life. I cannot promise you ease or enjoyment. You will be strangers in a strange land. You will never have a husband. It's not an easy thing to serve the Lord. And Orpah takes it to heart. And she goes home. And Naomi looks at Ruth. And she says, follow your sister. And Ruth says, no. Stop telling me to leave. And she says to Naomi some of the most famous words of this book. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. May the Lord do so to to me and more, if anything but death parts me from you. She is forsaking her gods. She is forsaking her people. Now, Ruth loves her mother-in-law. But you understand there is more than love to her mother-in-law in these words. She is parting with everything because she loves Naomi's God. 
And how did she come to know of this God? It was through the witness of Naomi. Ruth, you understand, has been converted. And she is a decided follower of God. What does this say to us? You know, at that, those moments, as we look over the crosses and the disappointments in our lives, and we ask the question, God, why? Here's one thing God tells you. In those moments, you tell others about me. You tell others about the mercy and the grace that may be theirs in Jesus Christ. And it may be that what God has brought into your life has absolutely nothing to do with you and it has everything to do with the people around you. He has shown a spotlight upon you so that others may come and see and ask that you may tell them about God. Naomi never went to seminary. She's not an educated woman. You don't need those things to tell other people about who God is. Do you look at your life this way? And then what do we tell them? Did you notice the two things that Naomi tells Ruth? She tells Ruth in the first place about the character of God. You see that back in verse nine and eight. She tells them of God's bounty and his goodness and his mercy everything that is bound up in his covenant name. And she tells them, she tells Naomi, she tells Orpah, he is for you if you would come to him. But there's a second thing she tells them. Naomi is very clear, there is a cost to discipleship. What did Bonhoeffer say? When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that is exactly what Naomi says. It is a wonderful thing to come to this God. There is blessing and mercy in this God. But it's not an easy thing to serve this God. There are costs to serving this God. And Orpah says, no thanks. And Ruth says, sign me up. She will take all of the uncertainties. She will take the deprivations that she has seen in the life of Naomi if she can only have God. That's a great word to others. That's a great word for ourselves. Whatever is happening in your life, you say with Naomi, isn't God worth it? 
So we see restoration. We see declaration. And the third thing we see God doing in the life of Naomi is anticipation. When Naomi comes home, good things await. It doesn't start promisingly. She comes into town, and we're told in verse 19, Bethlehem's not a big town. The whole town was stirred because of them. If you've ever lived in a small town, you know it doesn't take much to get the whole town abuzz. And Naomi has a speech, verse 20, do not call me Naomi, call me Marah, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And it's clear as she's talking to them, she is consumed with her past. Verse 21, I went away full, the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now Naomi's facing a spiritual danger at this point. She is so consumed with her past. She will not see what God is doing in her present. That's a trap believers can fall into. And we forget what the apostle says. Forgetting the things that lie behind. And Naomi isn't there yet. What's the good thing that's standing in front of her? It's there in verse 22. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. She has seen it with her eyes, what she had only heard with her ears. Now she sees it. God has brought food back to the land. And God's blessings only cascade. Because God is going to use Ruth to get some of that barley. And they will not starve. And Ruth's day job will allow her to meet the owner of the field, a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz will fall in love with Ruth. And he will marry Ruth. They will have a little baby. His name is Obed. And we read at the end of this book, the women of the neighborhood said, a son has been born of Naomi. Naomi who said, I will never have a child on my lap again. Look at what God did. And from Obed, as we read the closing verses of this book, comes great King David. And from David comes great David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is where Naomi's life was leading. One blessing after another. That's what God was up to in all of those strange twists and turns of providence in her life. You see, God was emptying Naomi 
because God was going to fill Naomi with something far better than she could ask or imagine. As we close, how does this apply to us? How is it with you this evening? Wonder if you can relate to Naomi. Something in the past, it consumes you. You are unable to let it go in the right and proper way. You are unable to look at the present. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what is your present? You belong to God in Christ. And in him dwells the fullness of God bodily. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All things are yours, Paul tells the Corinthians. And there is only glory ahead. Naomi called herself empty. The reality was her very best days were still ahead of her. And that's true of every Christian. You can get up every morning in Christ and say, this day I will know more of my God than I did yesterday. This day I will be, by the grace of God, more like Jesus Christ than I was yesterday. This day I will love him and his people more than I did yesterday. Today I am closer to glory than I was the day before. And you go from strength to strength. And how can you be sure? Because he who was rich became poor for your sake, believer, that we through his poverty might become rich. And he never changes. And you can take that to the bank. You trust him. God leads each of his children differently, but he is leading each of his children into the resources of blessing in Jesus Christ, this rich spiritual blessing purchased by Christ in his life and death. It may be God is emptying you, and it's only to fill you. Turn your face to him and trust him because the best days are in front of you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how easily we relate to Naomi and how we rejoice that in mercy you draw us from our sin to yourself, that you give us opportunity to tell others 
of the Savior and that you lay before us every day signs and tokens of your goodness and richness in Jesus Christ, all stored up for us in your word and made effective by the Spirit who indwells. Help us to set our face on Jesus Christ in faith and in love until we see him face to face. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.